hello again. I'm Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. Thanks so much once again for the thoughtful emails and responses. There were some real crackers in response to last week's episode about whether church is more like a family or a community or is it more like a society or enterprise. Uh, That, of course, was a partner post, so some of you mightn't have heard that. Just a good reason, just a little plug once again to become a painful partner and to get every post every week. Anyway, last week's post was about whether we should think about church as being like a family or more like an enterprise. That is, a community that has its own rationale and that has its own means and reason for existence and is just a family, or a society or enterprise that has purposes, that has things that it's pursuing together. We saw that it's kind of both at the same time. And one implication of that discussion was that if churches do have at least some characteristics of a society or an enterprise, then we do have various purposes or even outcomes or aims that we're pursuing together. And of course, they come from God. They're God's purposes. They're his outcomes or aims or goals for his people, all tied up with his plans that come to fruition in Jesus Christ. And so if our churches are, in one sense at least, enterprises that have purposes or things that we're pursuing together, then the next question, of course, is how do we go about doing that in the best way possible together? How do we go about seeking those purposes or outcomes together. And that brings us, perhaps somewhat reluctantly for some of us, to the whole difficult business of strategy. And that's what today's episode is about. And it's called Strategy Schmategy. Well, as you know, I've been back at Campus Bible Study this year doing some ministry, and Campus Bible Study is doing something radical. For the first time in three decades, we're officially and actually going to do some strategic planning and everybody's a bit nervous. There's a voice in most of our heads, I think, that says something like, oh, strategy, strategy, do we really need all this guff? These wildly important goals and key strategies and vision statements and all the rest of the paraphernalia, can't we just make glorify God our goal, our wildly important goal, and prayerfully proclaim Christ, our strategy, and just get on with it. Which, after all, is what we've been doing for the last few decades pretty effectively. Now, I share these thoughts and feelings, I have to confess. Although it's because of these thoughts and feelings and the current state of play at Campus Bible Study that I've come to think that it's just the right time for us to do some strategic planning. Just as Nixon was the president who had to be the one to go to China, so I think it's anti-pragmatist, Bible-focused, sovereignty-of-God-loving strategy sceptics like us who are probably just at the right point to do some strategic planning. And in this episode, I want to explain why that's the case and why you should possibly think about doing some strategic planning as well if you're sceptical enough about it. Well, what do I mean, first of all, by strategic planning? Well, essentially, strategic planning is just planning, except more so. Planning is leaving work early and taking a slightly different route home so as to get some milk at the servo. Strategic planning is the work that the milk corporation does to get that bottle of milk into that servo and position and market it to you in such a way that you choose to buy it. 
Strategic planning is just like any other sort of planning. It considers our present situation, in my case, a milkless situation. It looks forward to some future desired state of affairs. In this case, avoiding wifely wrath upon returning home milkless. And it then formulates some plan of action that hopefully gets you from here to there. In this case, a detour via the servo. In the currently popular jargon for these matters, nearly all planning, including strategic planning, consists of asking now, what's the situation now? Where? Where do I want to go? What's the outcome? What's the, what's the purpose? And how? How am I going to get there? Now? Where? How? And strategic planning is just a bigger, more complex and more far-reaching version of all of this. It considers the current state of play, but a bit more broadly and deeply. It looks a bit further into the future to articulate some goals or outcomes that we might want to get to one year, two year, even three years down the track. And then it works out a coordinated plan of action that we can engage in together that encompasses all the different complicated mesh of, of people and activities and resources that we're engaged in. Strategic planning, I guess you could say it's not looking at how one soldier might prevail in one personal fight but at how the whole army is going to work together to win the big war. And in fact, that's where the word strategic comes from. Um, as Gus might say in my big fat Greek wedding, is come from the Greek word strativo, which is mean to wage war. So strategic is what generals do to think about the entire plan, to look forward, to look broadly, and to coordinate all the different pieces to try and move forward together towards victory. So strategic planning kind of becomes necessary the larger and more complex any enterprise becomes. In fact, in some sort of ways, even when a family becomes larger, you have to do a little bit more planning. And we certainly found that as our brood got bigger and bigger. If we're going to avoid working at cross purposes with other people that we're working with, it's really useful to articulate clearly what it is that we're trying to achieve together what the main priorities are or the main approaches that we're focusing on so that we don't end up in conflict with one another or hearing off in different directions that might end up actually conflicting or getting in the way of each other. But this is where it gets interesting for us fundamentalist evangelical Calvinists. We say, yes, yes, we understand all that. Uh, it sounds fair enough. But isn't the diagnosis of our current circumstances and the outcomes that we might be shooting for, and indeed the main strategies for getting there, aren't all of these given to us by God? I mean, surely our now is this present evil age that God has put us in and about which he tells us in the scriptures. And our where or our outcome is the glory of Christ in making disciples of all nations and populating his church with his people. And our how or our strategy is just to prayerfully proclaim the word of God consistently and patiently over time. And besides all of this, isn't God the one who's in control, not only of everything that happens now, but of course of our future? Isn't it the height of, of arrogance and even folly to declare that we're going to achieve outcome you know, X in three years' time? Now, all of this is absolutely and precisely true. But none of it actually 
avoids or obviates the need to think through what we're going to do together over the next two or three years, which is what I'm saying strategic planning is. These theological convictions, they discipline and determine the kind of strategic planning that we'll need to do as evangelicals. But they don't give us a reason not to do it. What do I mean? Well, I mean, for example, that when we come to diagnose our current circumstances, to think about our now, we'll start with the absolute base conviction that the world and people and our situation is a certain kind of thing because the Bible tells us so. The Bible describes the world, the flesh and the devil, for example, as unavoidable realities of our present circumstances. And this will be determinative of how we think about our current circumstances, even as we investigate what the particular characteristics and manifestations of this present evil age are where we are, where we're ministering, what particular difficulties or obstacles or even possibilities or opportunities are in front of us. It also means that when we come to consider our outcomes or some where or some future goal that we want to shoot for together, it will really just be some localised particular version of Jesus's outcome, of God's goal for us, of a theologically determined future or purpose that God has given us. Now, that purpose we might describe as making disciples who make other disciples or some other formulation like that that we get from Scripture and from the Great Commission. But when we come to consider our particular circumstances and the people and the opportunities that God has given us, would it be possible for us to articulate some concrete expression of that general aim that God has given us, something that we could all work on and know together? And thirdly, it means that our how, our strategies, our big priorities for getting to that future, for getting to that desired outcome, will really be some form of proclaiming the word of God prayerfully in order to work towards that outcome, because that's the the means or the method that God has given us. But there are an almost infinite number of different ways we could do that, that we could use the time and resources, the people, the gifts that God has given us as a fellowship to proclaim Christ prayerfully and faithfully. We could hold church seven times a week and twice on Sundays. We could go door knocking every afternoon. We could cancel every church program except our Sunday service and say a monthly all-night prayer meeting and release the congregation to get out into the world, make more non-Christian friends and evangelize. Or a million other possible ways that we could proclaim the word of Christ prayerfully together as a congregation. It's unavoidable that given our limited time the limited number of people that we are, the limited resources we have, that we have to make some choices about exactly how we're going to proclaim Christ together for the glory of God and to the glory of God. We aren't at liberty to use any other method or approach because that's the one God has given us. That's his big strategy in that sense, his big how. It's to proclaim the word of God in all sorts of different ways, large and small, praying that God would make it effective. And we don't want to use any other method or approach. But we still can't avoid having to make some choices, having to say yes to some things and no to other things, to figure out the particular time and manner, the particular people and circumstances that will all come together in order for that biblically determined ministry to happen. This is required because of our finitude, because of our created 
and indeed our sinful limitations. Even at the same time as our finitude also means that the goals we set and all the approaches that we come up with are all subject to the sovereign rule and judgment of God. And this, of course, is what James chapter 4 famously reminds us of, that we are very finite and temporary. We're just a mist that appears for a little while. And this doesn't make all planning inappropriate or wrong, but it does make any plans that fail to acknowledge our finitude and God's infinitude arrogant and boastful, as James says. We can agree on a desired outcome together, that's fine, we can work hard towards it, but it is always a desire that we are earnestly seeking under God. It's not a goal that's within our power actually to achieve. And this is why I quite like the phrase desired outcome. It nicely relativizes our feelings about that outcome, that it's something we're going to shoot for together, something that we're going to all work hard to see if under God we can achieve. But it's a desire. It's something that we aspire to, not a goal that's actually within our reach and power to achieve, because the future is not within our power. And we have no concept or knowledge of what's going to happen just around the corner. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's surely reminded us of that. So all of this means that strategic planning may be a necessary and desirable thing to do in this world that God has made. But only if we do so in the way that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the wisdom literature generally urges us to do so, to seek that wisdom to live in the world. Because like all wisdom, wise and, and godly strategic planning must begin with the fear of the Lord and proceed with a deep awareness of how flawed and frustrating and unpredictable our world really is. And of course, we are as well. In other words, it needs the, the kind of optimism you see in Proverbs often, the optimism to seek good outcomes through wise action in the good orderly world that God has made. But it also needs that other strand that runs through the wisdom literature, often in places like Ecclesiastes, but also in Job. That is the humility and the pessimism of Ecclesiastes, that in this world, under the sun, all of our efforts will in some way be frustrated and will in some measure fail because of our limitations. I think it's possible, it's very possible, I think, to love strategic planning a bit too much. Some of us are like that. To be too optimistic about our ability to understand all the variables, to see forward and to forecast into the future, to devise the brilliant strategy and to, to pull it all off. It's possible to be too optimistic and bullish about all that, but of course the opposite is also true. It's very possible to be unreasonably avoidant of strategic planning, perhaps because it exposes us to the possibility and reality of failure, and we find that difficult, of course. But as soon as things get a little bit larger and a little bit more complex, some form of coordinated forethought becomes necessary. And that's all that strategic planning really is. And campus Bible study certainly is big enough and complicated enough to need it. And I strongly, very strongly suspect that your congregation and ministry fellowship is as well. And pausing to do that every now and then is really useful. It does, I think, a power of good to stop from the weekly grind, to look up, to stick our heads up and to see what's really going on, to have a look at what's happening, to look forward to what we might possibly achieve together by God's grace, 
and to think through together just how we might go about doing that. And very often, even just the exercise of doing that, of each person trying to articulate in conversation what it is we're currently doing and what we really are trying to achieve, even that can be extremely illuminating and helpful. You have that kind of conversation where someone says, what, you thought that was our big priority? I've been on this staff for three years. I've never even heard that mentioned. And similar conversations. So strategic planning at CBS, we've decided to give it a go. And perhaps you should consider doing that as well, but only if you don't really want to. Well, there are my brief reflections on strategy, on the necessity and also danger of strategy, on the need to approach the whole process of strategic planning with a theological mind and on the basis of our convictions. Do you have some thoughts? Is strategic planning and being a bit intentional and deliberate about these things, are you the kind of person for whom that's just great, you love it, you love getting into the planning and love forecasting and talking and strategizing and whiteboarding and blue skying and all those kinds of things? Or are you the kind of person who really avoids that kind of stuff like the plague and uh, and would prefer just to get on with it, perhaps just to be able to tactically pivot from time to time as circumstances change, but you really don't like putting together larger plans and going through that hassle. What sort of person are you? And what have these reflections on the nature of strategy prompted you to think about that? As always, very interested to hear what you think. Thanks for being with me again here on The Painful Truth. This is one of the free, goes out to everybody versions of The Painful Truth. uh, And I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, If you'd like to receive every episode of The Painful Truth every week rather than this uh, free public one, which comes out every three weeks or so, then it's pretty straightforward. You just go across to thepainfultruth.online and you can subscribe. There are a bunch of options there you can uh, can look at as to how you might subscribe and become a partner. Uh, It costs just a few dollars a month. Then that way you get the pleasure of my company every week, which, and who wouldn't want that? So thanks again for being with me this week on The Painful Truth. Been great to talk again. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.